I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships, creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself and villains that you love. And my name is Jeff Cook, and I am a philosopher, movie aficionado, and builder of beautiful things here in Greeley, Colorado. And with me is TJ Wilson, Businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. We are doing our deep dive, my brother. Yeah, we are. We are on to the villain that I relate to most on the list. <laughs> that that makes I love that. That's great. I am going You don't relate to, to Annie Wilkes? <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I have no interest in Taking out the ankles of my favorite author. Okay, that's good to know. How, however, occasionally I feel I feel a little envious of sure. uh, of some folks with uh, skills and that are are out there okay. in the uh, popular media world. Sure, I could probably do what they do. So we're going to talk about real, uh, villains that we relate to quite a bit today. Do you have Do you have a villain movie villain uh, book villain TV show villain that you relate to most and i obviously don't relate to a giant slug but like <laughs> i totally get job of the hut job has just got a great setup i get it it's i i'm there i i'm on board with what what job is doing maybe not physically the same but yeah. perhaps in soul in spirit sure there's yeah. a word for that yeah in yeah. spirit, you might, had, you might do the Jabba thing. If I had been born into a crime family, then maybe I would have <laughs> come out a little more like Jabba. We are talking about the fours today. Um, our fine friends at Inia App call the villainous four the envy spurned destruction. Uh, fours are the artist, the romantic, the individualist. Uh, got some basics on fours before we jump into this. Yeah, so fours are in that heart triad. They are uh, looking for attention. Um, their attention, however, is focused on authenticity and um, and wanting to be true and and uh, what is beautiful. And sometimes sadness is beautiful. And there's there's an awful lot in fours about what makes things true. And uh, fours in themselves, they they look out at the world and they see pl the places where they don't fit in. Mm. And so this is a big drive for them about how how they aren't like everyone else, how they don't have what it takes to be like everyone else, because they're looking for uh, they're looking for sort of completion uh, and and attention in in the way that like how they fit into the rest of the world. Is there an idealism there? Yeah, of course there is, because like fours are in that idealism triad with sevens and ones, and they um, they see the way the world. So sevens see the way the world could be, ones see the way the world ought to be, 
and fours see the inherent beauty in in the world as it is and and that drives them to this idealism mm. we should build on this because our character today is going to have it seems to me a strong idealism not only about his life but how the world should in part be shaped and there is a frustration that routinely manifests in this character well we are again talking about the move to the low side of security. We are talking about how our villainous characters come to this spot where they have power, where they feel secure. And when you're in that space, you can go high and be a good person. You can go bad and be a villain. And so what's the low side of security look like for the fours? So when fours move into secure places, they start to pick up some of the behavior of ones. So this in in the good space, this picks up like like drive and doing the things that need to get done and blah blah blah. In the bad ways, this is where fours get the sort of pharisaical nature. So think about all the the unhealthy ways that ones behave. This is some of the stuff that fours pick up. So that idealism drives them to a place where they look at the world and they say, "You should be like this." Mm-hmm. And and it's often turned very much inward. Uh, I should be like this. I should be, I should be at this level of whatever thing I'm striving for. And if I'm not, that's a problem. Lots of self-focus, like ones. The anger going inwards, like ones, on mm-hmm. that front. Yeah. Can you talk talk about envy on that front? Because that seems to be the natural passion sin that comes forth given that posture. Yeah, this is actually, I think this is one of the easiest ones to sort of understand in that space because because this is just a, it's just a downward spiral. As fours move to one in the in the unhealthy ways, that idealism and that, that striving for some kind of perfection, pointing it inwards becomes looking at the world and and wanting the things that the world has that make me inefficient in incomplete in insufficient everything else is better than i could be and why not me if you yep. hear like this is something to look for if you're looking for unhealthy fours is that idea of why not me why don't i get to have that thing there is it seems to me a spilling that takes place. And I think that's how one's function in the world is the self-criticism can spill over into the world as frustration or a one often thinks if I'm just good enough, then the rest of the world will follow suit. Mm. There's something it seems to me about fours on this front where the self-loathing that can occur for a four spills over into the world and towards others mm-hmm. as the kind of judgmentalism that we might see yeah. in a one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it becomes a, um, you see four start to look to tear others down because, because I should be at your level and I can't, I'm going to bring you down to my level or mm-hmm. below me in order to really, in order to, to, feel better about myself. It's not even it's not even to make myself better. It's it's because you don't deserve the thing that you're getting. 
Is that an opposite move to the virtue of a four, which is equanimity? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I'm the special one. And and you don't deserve it. And so I'm going to make sure it. we take it away from you. Ah, uh, like that. Some of the characters that we have listed as villainous fours, which we'll get to at the end, are the Wicked Queen from Snow White. Perfect. Has some envy going on. Yeah. In her conversations with her mirror. Yeah, who's who's the fairest? Yeah. We're going to talk about some John Doe in Seven. Excellent. Super excited for that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scar in The Lion King has, has that villainous, envious side. Excellent. Uh, we have talked about Loki and Commodus, and I suppose if we got time, we might hit on the Kylo Ren, but I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about your, your thoughts on, on that if we, if we have time. Sure. Um, but TJ, if our dear listener has not looked at the title of our podcast, <laughs> who is the villain behind door number four? This is Maestro Salieri from... Amadeus, the Oscar-winning best picture from, what, 1984? I think it's 85. 85? Right there, dead center. Yeah. Amadeus, the the best picture, played by the incomparable F. Murray Abraham. Extraordinary. Oh, Extraordinary just, performance. Just, it's, it's, it's just, and it, it's just, if you know this movie... And you know the Enneagram. All I hope that you immediately understand how for this character is. It's and if it's you perfection. don't, we're gonna spend a lot of time yeah. <laughs> showing it off. <laughs> Did you watch this for the first time today? For the first time in a long time? No, this is the second time in a long time. Boom! I watched it several times growing up. My dad was a big fan, um, and then. I watch it every maybe 10 years or so. Everything, everything in this movie holds up. In fact, it not only holds up, it in many instances just blew me away at how much better the filmmaking is here than 90%, 99% of the stuff that gets released today. Yeah, absolutely. This is an extraordinary movie. Um, I suppose Jeffrey Jones doesn't hold up as being Jeffrey Jones, who goes down a dark path. Aside from I mean, that, y- you complain about Jeffrey Jones, but I think he does great. I, I have no complaints about oh, Jeffrey Jones. I think he's an amazing actor. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you get on the Wikipedia and looked at uh, some of the events of his life, that's more what I'm oh, referring sure. to. Okay, gotcha. You mean Jeffrey um, Jones, the person? Yes. Uh, okay. Jeffrey Jones, Jeffrey Jones is great the actor. This movie. Spectacular. Jeff- who cares about Jeffrey Jones? I don't care about Jeffrey Jones, the person. We're talking about this movie. So a couple things about Amadeus. <laughs> it is 1985. I have it in my notes. It won eight Academy Awards. It is the last movie to have two men nominated for best actor for the same film. And F. Murray Abraham, who plays Salieri, won. Amadeus is number 10 on Rolling Stone's best movies of the 80s list. And Vulture has it as the number 10 movie on its list of best picture winners the 10th best best picture winner nice (laughs) um footnote here and just like a little rant may i for for two seconds just say the oscar winning 
film is amazing and it's really hard to find because Hollywood is dumb and they think we want extended versions for some reason. <laughs> but this one, I, I dare say, has too many notes. Let, can, there, there's, <laughs> so for, for any of you who have never seen Jeff's notes, which is probably most of you listening, Jeff does two column pages in landscape. Uh, and that's that's how he makes all of his notes. Uh, and there's 14 pages of two column notes, which is essentially it's like it's like 30 pages of notes that's just <laughs> on this film. Two. It would be two chapters in one of my books. Sure. Yeah. What I wrote on this it's, movie. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's just notes on the movie Amadeus. And good news, you know, a third of that is just me quoting the movie. So it wasn't just all me going, this is amazing. This is incredible. This is, look at this. There but is TJ, a lot of that, though. We, could, we should just start talking uh, about Mozart. Let's get it. This has been Mozart month for me. I, I started doing the research, as, as you will have noted, a while ago. Because I love this movie so much. Yeah. And I just have been just bathing in Mozart music and lore and books and just loving this month. Excellent. Sounds um, like a good month. I was, during a year that's been such a tragedy, you know, September was pretty good. Sure. Well, for you anyway. For, for me. The Mozart. Because of Mozart. Mozart died just before his 34th birthday. Lifespan, it, you should get in your head. He's um, you know, right there in the Enlightenment, birth of the United States, French Revolution. These are contemporary events. Um, his full name, do you know this, is Wolfgang Theophilus Mozart. Theophilus is Greek, and it came from his godfather, but Mozart preferred the Latin translation, which is Amadeus. It's like amor, love of God, Deus. And that might be part of the central idea in this film, hmm. that apparently God loves some people and not <laughs> others. <laughs> Did you type this character, by the way, the Mozart? Uh, I, I didn't, like, officially type him, but just, like, right off the top of my head, I would go with seven for him. I am, I'm all in on seven. Okay. Um, also, as a historic probably type Paul Johnson, who writes a wonderful biography on Mozart, just called Mozart, uh, near the end said, Mozart was enormously broad-minded, tolerant, and omniferous. And I was like, omnivorous. That's a great word That's for sevens. great word for sevens. Mozart's played by Tom Hollis and uh, is extraordinary. Um, did I don't know if I talked to you about this. Do you know who was playing? Uh, so this is from a stage play. Amadeus was a stage play that was mm -hmm. released a few uh, years before the movie. Okay. Do you know who was playing uh, Salieri and Mozart in the stage play? No idea. It was one Ian McKellen was playing Salieri, and one Mark Hamill was playing Oh, man. I Mozart. really want to go back in time just to be able right. to watch that performance. Ugh. F. Murray Abraham, uh, his mom is Italian. His father is an immigrant from Syria, and his father's name is Farid. And Abraham added the letter F to the beginning of his stage name to honor his dead dad. Oh. I That's thought sweet. that was really 
Amazing. Yeah. I said dead dad. He his dad may have been alive. I I that was probably <laughs> I don't actually know that. Um I'm adding things. Um much like the movie Amadeus. Uh so the the caveat that we should probably insert here is that we are not talking about the actual person Salieri. We're not talking about the actual person Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. We're talking about the characters from the movie Amadeus, which we are fully aware is not exactly accurate. So all of you music nerds understand that we know that this is not how things went down. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about this character from this movie. So calm down right now. Salieri in this movie is not historical at all. Not even a little bit. Entirely fictional. I think this character is much bigger. This character exposes something in humanity that deeply needs to be talked about. Yeah. Um, The New Yorker's Alex Ross points out that Mozart and Salieri is a variation of Cain and Abel or of the prodigal son and his brother. It's the favored son versus the dutiful one or the rule breaker versus the conformist. Mm. And this is just something in the human story. Some of the best tales that humanity has ever told go down this path and expose this part of our hearts and minds. As such, for me, this is a really, as I said before, this is a super sympathetic villain. And as we'll see, there is a descent into hell and it's entirely understandable. The breaking bad that takes place here, I don't know if this is an anti-hero, but certainly the the corruption of one's soul materializing at the end, man is just overwhelmed by his envy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that then. Is Salieri a four? I mean, there's there's nothing but envy in this character from start to finish. And melancholy, and um, I'm like the like the the movie opens with him attempting suicide, which mm-hmm. obviously like mental health touches all of the types, but but the reason that he is attempting suicide at this point is is tied directly to his introspection and his thinking that he does not deserve to live. Lots of withdrawn attention-seeking. Yeah. Very relationally geared character in my mind. Mm -hmm. He's, in fact, it strikes me that he is a genius about relationships in this movie. Oh, yeah. The one thing he's not a genius in is the one thing he wants to be a genius in. Well, but even there, like, he... There, there is a lot of... And and we're going to talk about this more, but there's, there's a lot of the sense of of being the only one in the room who can see how brilliant Mozart is, but not able to actually do it, which is like, like F. Murray Abraham is so great at this that he actually played this character in two different movies. Uh, he's, What's he's the other one? Almost the same character in uh, Finding Forrester with Sean, oh, I need Sean to- Connery. I don't know that I've, I've I watched that once. Sure, I'll have and, to go back. And he's he's basically the the author who tried to write the great American novel, and oh. 
someone else is so much better than him and he becomes a professor and essentially it, it like he he's stuck in the place of recognizing genius without being able to produce it. So yeah. Yeah. One of the things that hit me on this was that the heart's message that fours need to hear, you are seen and loved as you are is something deeply lacking in this character. Absolutely. Does not feel understood by his culture Mm -hmm. and longs to be beautiful like that other guy. Yeah. Well, and even before he, he recognizes Mozart, like that's the striving for his life is he, he wants to be a composer. Like he, before he knows who Mozart is at all, Mozart doesn't even exist when this guy decides that he wants to be a, a famous composer. And, and he, he works very hard to get to the position that he gets in, like as, as the official court composer. And here's this dumb kid, this obscene idiot <laughs> who is automatically better than him. Mm-hmm. Like so much so that it's like he doesn't even deserve to be in the position that he's in. Yep. Last word on envy for me, when I did my study on the deadly sins that really hit me over and over again is that envy rejects the good life that you've been given Mm. with an obsession with, you know, what's been given to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But the problems, struggles, obstacles that other, that other person faces are nearly always set aside and not put into the equation. Mm Mm-hmm. I want the good thing and the good thing alone that that other person has. Yeah. And any struggle that they have is just set to the side. Yeah. As well as every good thing I have is set to the side. Mm -hmm. And there is a separation taking place there that I am rejecting myself because I want to be somebody else. Yeah. There's so much of that peppered throughout the whole movie but like even the big point that Mozart died at 34 and yep. and the very end of the movie Salieri says that that essentially that God is punishing him by giving him 32 more years of life right. how dare God <laughs> let him live knowing the things that he knows it's like if that's if if this guy isn't just like if envy isn't the lens that he sees the world through then i don't know what envy is that's a great point all right you want to get into this movie let's do it all right so it begins with those two strong chords from don giovanni and a man yelling Give your assassin, I confess, I killed you. Mia culpa. Pieta, pieta, pieta. Mozart, forgive your assassin. He repeats pieta three times. In Italian, this means pity. It's like this forgiveness. And mia culpa uh, is what it's, it's, this was all my fault. And so right at the beginning, and I think in a lot of our future movies, the first line colors everything, but it certainly does here. The idea of forgiveness is something we are going to see over and over and over and over again in this film. Yeah. In real interesting places, because that is something that is not going to be easily embraced or enjoyed 
by Salieri. Any thoughts on that opening line? It's also remarkably self-focused. Yeah. Like like even in his confession as the like the would-be killer of Mozart. <laughs> Like, it's all about him. It's all about, like, forgive me for doing this thing. And 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 again, like, back to your earlier point, like, it is completely dismissive of the struggles that happened in Mozart's life to get him to the point where Salieri could take advantage of him. Yep. We'll see that in that character over and again. Right. It's all about him. Yeah. He's entirely Just- focused on himself. Great Vincent uh, Chiavelli, who you will know as the ghost in the subway in the movie Ghost. He approaches the door to Salieri's room with a cream dessert and with his assistant, and he starts baby-talking him. He says, Senor Salieri, open the door. Be good now. Senor, we have something special for you. And these characters are very important because they show us this world in which everyone in Salieri's experience is a mediocrity. These guys are buffoons. They are easily played and controlled. They are the hoi polloi masses, and they are the first two men in the movie that we meet. And everybody who's not Salieri and who's not Mozart is this kind of person. Mm. And that's how Salieri sees the world. Everybody else is inferior. Yeah. Well, and it's it's also funny that, like, like Salieri has servants in this big, beautiful, crazy mansion. And like, it's these two buffoons. Like these guys really, they kind of look like they just came in off the street. <laughs> it's true. And like, like, like just bringing home that idea of like, of, of how below average his people, the people around him are. Yeah. They just, they seem like buffoons, but they're, they're servants to, the guy who was the court composer to the emperor for his entire life. And that's what we should see. They are serving somebody who's clearly very wealthy. They're in a huge mansion and they're trying to get into his bedroom. And then they hear this loud bang and on a piano and moaning and they crash against the door and they burst through and you see this old man holding a knife and blood is pouring from his neck and the needle drops on symphony number 25 in G minor by Mozart and Salieri is looking up for help and his servants are are beside themselves and they begin to rush him to the hospital. The, The music here, by the way, written by Mozart when he was 17. There's, there isn't better music for this scene. There's not. It's it is so great. Yeah. And the energy that the soundtrack pours into this mm-hmm. drama. I I can't think of anything like it. I I I need to still see the Beethoven movie which you love. I meant to do that beforehand. Sure. Uh Immortal Beloved, but I I I like Beethoven better. I I like Beethoven. I am moved by Beethoven's music more than I am moved by Mozart. Mm-hmm. This movie is much better than Immortal Beloved just objectively speaking. (laughs) Fun fact, uh, the historic Salieri, a teacher of Beethoven. Interesting. Cut to the next scene. Priest is going into an asylum, and there's a shot of 30 or so mentally ill men who are in kind of a 
big hallway looking room and one of them's naked, which always brings the insanity up a notch for me when watching a movie. And these are people, (laughs) naked dudes. When, when naked people approach me and I'm on the street, I generally go to the other side because the insanity level just probably high clicks up. (laughs) Salieri has his own room in the asylum and he has a piano and the priest comes in he says Sal- air Salieri. And the first thing that Salieri says is leave me alone. The priest meeting him in this withdrawn state. I cannot leave alone a soul in pain. Salieri says, do you know who I am? The priest says that makes no difference. All men are equal in God's eyes. There's equanimity. Perfect. And Salieri, this is such, I'm going to say this about every single line in this movie. (laughs) Salieri looks him dead cold and says, are they? And this is going to be the point of their entire conversation, whether or not men are equal in God's eyes. And he's thoroughly energized by this. Priest says, offer me your confession. I can offer you God's forgiveness. Again, here's the theme. Salieri changes the subject. How well are you trained in music? He wants to go back to equality. I know a little. I I studied it in my youth. Where? Here in Vienna. Ah, then you must know this. Plays his own little ditty. I can't say that I do. What is it? It was a very popular tune in its day. I wrote it. And that I wrote it is delivered with just a care about this thing I care about. This is me putting some of myself out here for you to analyze. Reveals part of himself. I would love to, before we get any further here, actually, can you talk about withdrawn attention seeking? So there's, I mean, there's multiple ways to look at this, and and I'm certain that every four would describe it a little differently for their own experience. Um, but there's, like, one big part of it is um, sort of stepping back to get people to notice. Uh, so it's, I I'm I'm looking for the attention of people that that I care about and that allegedly care about me. And so I'm going to step back to see if they seek me out. Uh, and another way is is actually much more self-focused. So the withdrawing is is in order to intentionally focus on the self. Um, and I think health and circumstance plays a lot into which of these things happen. But there's uh, there's a sort of push pull thing that happens with fours where they push people away uh, to try and get attention. Uh, and that's that's a lot of what what that that withdrawing for attention is, and so uh, what what I see in this scene in particular is him sort of diminishing himself in a way to point out how little value he has. Mm. So so the idea of like like you've studied music, let me play something for you that was very very popular. Do you know it? Oh, you don't. Of course you don't. Because I don't matter. He push he pushes further down that road. He shows him a different tune, and there's kind of a flashback, and it's as though the it's just not connecting with this priest. And he says, 
Can you recall no melody of mine? Ah, uh, something that we know he deeply cares about. I was the most famous composer in Europe. I wrote 40 operas alone. It's kind of like this, like begging for some recognition here. Mm -hmm. And then there's a turn. What about this one? And immediately the priest goes, oh, yeah, that one. I know that I one. Know that That's one. a good one. Yeah. And everybody in the audience knows that one. And we're in the priest's shoes. We know this song. Yeah. Yes, I know that. Oh, that's charming. I'm sorry, I didn't know you wrote that. I didn't. That was Mozart. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. The one that God loved. This is a great example of like a, a sort of manipulative withdrawing for attention. Is that that he's pointing out that everyone recognizes this tune that he didn't write. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's all this music that I did write. Here's this other thing. And you don't, you know this, but you don't know anything that I wrote. The focus is on his work, even though he's using someone else's to, to point it out. Yeah. The priest then says, The man you accuse yourself of killing. Is it true? If you have something to confess, do it now. Give yourself some peace. That's a worthy target. Sure. Salieri says, He was my idol. I can't think of a time when I didn't know his name. I was still playing childish games when he was playing music for kings and emperors, even the Pope in Rome. I admit I was jealous when I heard the tales they told about him. And we've talked quite a bit about jealousy and envy here. So then there's a slight turn. And Salieri says, Not of the brilliant little prodigy, but of his father, who had taught him everything. My father did not care for music. When I told him how I wished I could be like Mozart, he would say, Why? Do you want to be a trained monkey? Would you like me to drag you around Europe doing tricks like a circus freak? <laughs> how could I tell him what music meant to me? And that struck me as a very four line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is him seeing something so beautiful in the world that he knows that nobody else sees it the way that he does, and and particularly his father, who I'm 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 guessing he had a pretty bad relationship with his father, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and like like this is something that's so beautiful and so pure that that. It's so important, and, and I want to be part of it, and I want to be part of helping other people see it in the world. And, and I, I, like he doesn't know how to express how important this is, because if his father doesn't see it that way, then just like it, there isn't a way to express it if he doesn't just know. Father's a businessman, right? Who cares about art? Who cares about music? Doesn't matter. While my father prayed earnestly to God to protect commerce, I would offer up secretly the proudest prayer a boy could think of. Because he's the most important person in the universe. Lord, make me a great composer. Let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous through the world, dear God. By the way, 
all of this prayer is going to get answered up till this point. Make me immortal. After I die, let people speak my name forever with love for what I wrote. Nearly everything that he prays for here, actually he gets. Right. In return, I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility, every hour of my life. Amen. That is motive. That is core. What do you see there? I mean, it's... I don't know that there's much to say about it. It's pretty straightforward, you know? <laughs> like, I, I want to be special, and I want to be known for being special. Um, I want to be different than everyone else, and I want to do it in this beautiful way. And I want to be famous for it. There's something about the the heart is exposed in these places of prayer where you get to see what you long for mm. and who you are and how you even relate to the world. These things might not be healthy for this person. This right. might not be the good a good path for you. Right. It might be the case that if God gave you all these things, it might destroy you. Right. But then Salieri says, and do you know what happened? A miracle. And his dad chokes to death. <laughs> you might be a sociopath <laughs> if you think your dad choking to death is the grace of God coming into your life. Yeah, just maybe. Just maybe there's there's a <laughs> looking at the world a little bit differently than the rest of us. My life changed forever. Of course I knew God had arranged it all. That was obvious. One one minute I was a frustrated boy in an obscure little town. The next I was here in Vienna. City of musicians. And Emperor Joseph, the musical king. In a few years, I was his court composer. Isn't that incredible? Divine hand, man. Night after night, I sat right next to the Emperor of Austria, playing duets with him, correcting the royal sight reading. Actually, the man had no ear at all. Because everyone that's not him is a mediocrity. But what did it matter? He adored my music. Tell me, if you had been me, wouldn't you have thought God had accepted your vow? And believe me, I honored it. Full sincerity. I don't think he lies at all to this priest. Right. Does this man uh, not receive everything he asked for? And I think he actually does. And later this comes into the movie that he actually is chaste. Um, there's, a, there's a woman that he desires, withholds his pursuit of her. He then does the prodigal son thing, the older brother thing. Right. I was a model of virtue. I kept my hands off women. I worked hours every day teaching students, many of them for free, sitting on endless committees to help poor musicians. Work and work and work. That was all my life. What is this? Well, there's a part of this that um, it's like he made a deal and he's fulfilling his end of the deal. But, but to another degree, it's in this place where he feels like he has the things that he is looking for. So you, another way you might say that is uh, insecurity as a four. He is doing what is expected of him. Boom. He's, he's following the rules. He's, he's living a life of order. He's uh, in this time of religious... 
domination? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Religious domination. He is very pious. He's doing all of the things that are expected of him as, as a man who made a deal with God. And he's fulfilling the terms of the deal because this is what you're supposed to do. One of the things the God character or the father says in uh, the prodigal son story when the younger brother returns is, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. And the older brother, none of that matters. Right. Because he sees the younger brother Mm -hmm. and he sees what the father does for the younger brother. And that's the turn right here. Right. He says, and it was wonderful. Everybody liked me. I liked myself. That's a that's a big step getting there. Yeah. Until he came. And then apparently somebody else who is able to perform music ruins everything. <laughs> TJ, you'll know this. I'm the greatest philosopher in the world. If you set aside a couple, you know, 10,000 other thinkers. <laughs> I'm the most successful writer in America right now if not for the 100,000 or so people who are ahead of me on Amazon. Sure. Our podcast, as you will know, is a work of genius, if not for the other, you know, maybe two dozen or so that are, are slightly better. Right. Aesthetics is all about comparison. Yep. Fours have this wonderful radar for beauty and establishing that state. It's not even standards. What is that? It's just this appreciation of the kaleidoscopic wonders of the world around us and the ability to see what has quality. Mm -hmm. Making things better is an addiction for ones. Right. Who is the best? Who is the most beautiful? Make me immortal, God, means make me better than everyone else. In In that place, I loved how you were talking about this in terms of the security. I'm dutiful. I'm doing all the things. And he's clearly wealthy. He's clearly powerful. He's, he's as privileged a, a, an artist as you'll see in the history of the world, probably. Right. Well, and even in, because this is still about the four motivation, like making me immortal isn't just about being better than everyone else. It's being recognized for eternity. It's mm. about the attention. He doesn't want to be immortal because he wants to live forever. He wants to, his name to live forever. He wants He's the part, attention of yeah. living forever. He's one of those beautiful things in the cosmos. Right. That others will recognize. Right. You are seen in love for who you are. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic story, uh, side note, about Dana Carvey. The first night he ever gets like a real gig at a comedy club where he's going to get paid and it's going to be solid and he's super jazzed, and he shows up, and there's a guy who goes on before him, and Dana Carvey almost calls it quits. He decides, this is, I, I do not know if I can hang at this level. Um, <laughs> he, is, he is wrecked, and he's questioning his life's choices as he's watching the guy in front of him. And the guy who went on before him was named Robin Williams. Oh, that's, that's so unfair to <laughs> Dana Carvey. <laughs> like, ha, I mean, Dana Carvey is a brilliant brilliant comedian and i love his work and his stand-up is is fantastic and you can't like the the how unfair to have to follow the incomparable robin williams carvey's as successful a comedian as you'll find in the late 80s early 90s right 
And yet watching somebody else, there's this identity crisis, right? Yeah. We've, we've quoted Stephen King's book on writing a couple times, but there's a, there's a line out of it that, that hit me on this front. He says, almost everyone can remember losing his or her virginity, and most writers can remember the first book they walked away from thinking, I can do better than this. Hell, I am doing better than this. What could be more encouraging to the struggling writer, artist, than to realize that their work is unquestionably better than that of someone who actually got paid? Good writing, on the other hand, teaches the learning writer about style, grace, plot development, the creation of believable characters, and truth-telling. And he says this. this is so This is just great. He says, a novel like The Grapes of Wrath may fill a new writer with feelings of despair and good old-fashioned jealousy. I'll never be able to write anything that good, not if I live to be a thousand. But such feelings can also serve as a spur goading the writer to work harder and aim higher. We read to experience the mediocre and the outright rotten. Such experiences help us to recognize those things when they begin to creep into our own work and to steer clear of them. We also read in order to measure ourselves against the good and the great to get a sense of all that can be done. I quote this long passage because this is the thing that Salieri lacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This person is the only person in the world who can make you a better per, uh, person at your craft. Yeah. Nobody else is going to challenge you. Right. This is a gift for you. Yeah. And he cannot receive it. Right. Yeah, he can't he can't do anything except for say except for see this as a diminishment of himself. Yep. Yeah. The interpretation of greatness before you is an invitation. It's not a diminishment, but interpretation matters. Right. And there's the low. That's that's where the the envy gets a real foothold. Yeah. So here's the intro to Mozart. He came to Vienna to play some of his music. Eagerly I went there to seek him out. That night changed my life. As I wandered through the salon, <laughs> I played a little game with myself. This man had written his first concerto at the age of four. His first symphony at seven. A full-scale opera at 12. Did it show? And of course, the director cuts to a young man chasing a girl through a crowd, and Salieri is kind of maneuvering, and he's actually, it's that withdrawn side. He's kind of hiding in the shadows, mm -hmm. but he's tempted by food. His, his love of sweets is hilarious this is this this, Yeah, this is a, a thing that, that's peppered throughout, and there's, there's never any real focus on it, but, but, but Salieri loves sweets, and and there's a um, the, to me this is this is sort of a fourishness as well, like the 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 sort of appreciation of the delicacies. Well, it's it's not even necessary. Like like it is delicacies, but it's it's also like he always has some kind of of sweet around, um, and it's the like there's a it's it's not lust, but it's almost like. Like this is something that's so good that I need to have it around all the time, and and there's a, um, in the same way that that Fords appreciate art and and music and and like 
sunsets and 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 good writing and and all of these other things like good fours also have an appreciation for really good food like this yes yeah 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 and i love that that that's peppered through this like the 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 fourness of this character is is comprehensive his home is gorgeous yeah his his taste in uh potential mates is at the highest level i i we might say, yeah. Um, he has an ear for music, which we will look at, and of course, it's going to go to his palate as well. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yep, that's great. Salieri is is eating food in the corner, tempted by these delicacies, and then he gets this good look at Mozart, who is being crass and wooing. This young girl, whose name is Constance, who's going to become his wife later. And then music begins playing in the opposite room, and Mozart runs out after saying, "They're it's my music. They're playing my music. And Salieri follows and immediately moves to judgment. That was Mozart. That, that giggling, dirty-minded creature i just seen crawling on the floor. He might use the word creature in the future. But do you have any times. thoughts about uh, judgment and fours at the, on this front? Well, there's there's an idealism represented here. Um, like he he is expecting the person who created these works at such an early age and and is is representative of such a genius. Like he expects this person to be comprehensive. So it, it's it's. He's not only going to be a genius, he's going to look and act like a musical genius. And and also, because I consider myself within this, within the same circle, mm-hmm. within the same sort of the same vein as as this person, I expect that he will look something like me. Which is like the distinguished, the the following all the rules, the piety. Like he should look like that, yeah. because that is what someone who is that good should look like. Yep, should have. You have the appreciation for all these delicacies, and you have standards across the board. But the guy making jokes, fart jokes to his future fiance, that's not up to par, right? How how could that? possibly be one of my many favorite scenes from this movie occurs then the music gets played after the concert what we see is a room full of people they are people of power they are people of wealth they are people of privilege servants young people are playing dress up they're all talking about trivialities they're they're some of them are positioning for power salieri alone walks across the room as everyone else is exiting and he goes to the music stand and he picks up the score. And this is the score for Serenade number 10. And he looks at the third movement. He is the only one who cares about this piece of paper. And then there's this brilliant scene. On the page, it looked nothing. The beginning simple, almost comic. Just a pulse, bassoons, basset horns. Like a rusty squeeze box. (laughs) And then, suddenly, high above it, an oboe. 
A single note hanging there, unwavering. Until a clarinet took it over. Sweetened it into a phrase of such delight. This was no composition by a performing monkey. This was a music I had never heard. Filled with such longing, such unfulfillable longing. It seemed to me that I was hearing the voice of God. He is able to see and deeply appreciate what nobody else can. And I would love for you to talk about this phrase at the end. Unfulfillable longings for fours. Um, tied into their, uh, their sense of sort of not fitting in. There's, there's a, um, like part of the whole thing about force is that they see the complexity. They see the nuance of, of the world and they see like everything is beautiful. Fours often don't like the Enneagram because you're putting, 7 billion people into only nine different boxes. Like how could you possibly reduce something so complex as a human being to a, to one of only nine types. And because everything has its own beauty, everything has its own complexity and, and, and everything is beautiful for being different from everything else. And, um, there is in, within this, there is this sort of this aching, this this um, this knowing that this kind of beauty exists, and 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 wanting to live in that in within that beauty forever, but also because of how the world works and how how these things actually are that beauty is fleeting. Sunsets are, are temporary. Um, all things beautiful have a beginning and an end. And, and fours live in that space of wanting to experience the full glory of what could be, but knowing that it's impossible to be there forever. I had a question for you on this is a half-baked thought, but there is something about the heart triad, twos, threes, and fours, of wanting to unite and even seeing their identity in the thing that they value most. It's not that I have a family. It's that this family is me. It's not that I'm just part of this crew who is successful at my job, but this crew at my job, this is me. It's not just that I love and appreciate the beautiful thing. It's that I am united to it. One of the things, as a celibate man, Salieri has a couple of instances where he is orgasmic in his connection to some of the pleasures that he experiences, specifically music, Mm -hmm. um, where you can see his physicality almost overwhelmed with with a with a kind of pleasure and you see it here as he's simply looking at notes mm-hmm. and there is I the, I mean there's a copulation taking place with this music mm-hmm. 
I'm being united with it. And then suddenly Mozart comes in, rips it out of his hands and walks out of the room. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Well, that, um, like specifically speaking to Salieri in this moment, like he, he, it is, there's, there's so much of this, this character and this, this, um, the, the experience that he goes through in this film and what he's describing that this is about experiencing those moments of, of pure pleasure of, of, of hearing the voice of God, of being connected to all reality. That's, that's one of the beautiful things about really good, music is that it takes you outside of yourself and connects you to something larger. And, and that's, I, I think that's what Salieri is going through. And, and I think there are a lot of things that, that do that. And I think, I mean, realistically, I think that's what sex is. Like you, you are becoming one with something else. You're not just you anymore. And, mm-hmm. and Salieri is experiencing a connection to something so much more than himself, knowing that this, mu- like just, just seeing this music and, and hearing it in his head. Mm-hmm. It's cut to the court of King Joseph. They are dialoguing about Mozart and whether he should come to Vienna. All of the mediocrities are debating, you know, trivial questions, you know, the quality of Mozart's music, how many notes are used, whether operas can be composed in German. And then King Joseph says to Salieri, Court composer, what do you think? And Salieri says, I think it's an interesting notion to keep Mozart in Vienna, Majesty. It should really infuriate the Archbishop beyond measure, if that is your Majesty's intention. Politically genius character who is the court composer standing among all the other buffoons. And for the first time in the scene, the king brightens up and here is wisdom and true insight. And he shakes his fingers at him and he says, you're naughty court composer. Salieri sidesteps all the landmines. And I build into the scene for just a moment, just to, you know, just to expose the character here. Mm -hmm. He is honored by people of note and apparent power and skill and understanding. He has gained the king's full attention and praise. He is clearly the smartest person in the room in multiple scenes, and yet it won't be enough. And Joseph extends the invitation to Mozart, cut to Salieri, who wants to compose a march for Mozart when he arrives. He wants to honor him. He wants to impress him. He has heard about this guy since he was four, right? Right. And this will be the first time that he really gets to interact with him, so he wants to give him a gift. Wonderful scene of Salieri, who's slowly, deliberately seeking the right note as he's composing this march. And then something really important happens. He hits, he hits the note that really resonates with him, and he's like, ah, that's it. And he looks up at the wall, and there's a cross. And he thanks the image of the crucified Jesus. He offers this sincere praise. And then it moves to my favorite scene in the movie. And this is of King Joseph walking in. Well, what do you have for me today? Your Majesty, Herr Mozart. Yes, what about it? He's here. Uh-huh. Well, there it is. Good. Salieri steps forward, moves to action here, right? Your Majesty, I hope you won't find it improper, but I've written a little march of welcome in his honor. What a charming idea, court composer. May I see? 
Just a trifle, of course. May I try it? And Salieri, again, being affirmed. Majesty. Emperor goes to the instrument, sits down, plays the first few bars. Delightful chord composer. May I play it when he comes in? You do me too much honor, sire. And that's actually entirely true. And this is this is all exactly what he wants. He wants Mozart to hear it. He wants the king to be the one to play it. Because, like, what better honor is there for the this man than to have the person in charge, the, the person who could kill all of them with a word, <laughs> being the one to introduce his own music to someone that he respects so much. Entirely right. Bring in Mozart, please. But slowly, slowly. I need a minute to practice. Mozart comes in, and he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's looking around, where I go? It looks all awkward. All the, you know, the mediocrities are standing there listening. Mozart comes in, bows to the wrong person, and then it's just pointed in the right direction. The king is playing the harpsichord. He ends the piece. All the other folks... Bravo, Majesty! You know, because they're all suck-ups. Mozart says, Your Majesty. And Joseph tells a funny story about Mozart. Mozart begins to laugh. <laughs> which will be the first time that we hear his laugh. Which is this obnoxious, over-the-top, I am enjoying life and don't care at all what you think about me laugh. The, uh, <clears throat> the closed captioning on, yeah. on this film, <laughs> describe it as braying. <laughs> that's, that's how I laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Mozart's braying laugh in parentheses. <laughs> What's interesting is everybody in the room judges him as a buffoon based on his donkey laugh. Immediately. Joseph is very aware of the dynamics of the room and changes the subject, moves things along. You will know these gentlemen, I'm sure. And he begins introducing everybody around the circle. Everybody blends. Nobody's really special. They're all bureaucrats. Right. Yeah. And then Joseph says, here is our illustrious court composer, Air Salieri. And Mozart bows low. Salieri doesn't. Salieri then, though, says, At last, such immense joy, diletto straordinario. This is Italian for this is such an extraordinary delight. And he is, in this moment, the politician that he is, elevating his Italian musical background before Mozart. Right. Because Mozart, at this time, Italian is like, it is the language of good music. Yep. Which uh, they set up in an earlier scene is, this is all cultured people know this. Right. Mozart just cuts to stuff that's interesting. Seven that he is. Why would I want to be bored? I know your work well, signore. Do you know why I actually composed some variations on a melody of yours? Oh, really? Which one? Mio caro adonne. Well, I'm flattered. Which he is. But then Mozart goes one step too far. A funny little tune, but it yielded some good things. Yikes. Which will likewise be what takes place in a few moments. Right, right. And this is this is also like this is a really good example of a seven speaking to a four. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. Because because Mozart, like he's he's not insulting Salieri. He's he's just like he's just saying his truth. Yep. He just has no idea that the thing that he's saying is insulting. Yep. Completely unaware. Might be a free feeling repressed seven. Might be. Yeah. Might not care at all about yeah. this guy's emotions. Yeah. And if you, I'm here to have fun, man. If Salieri were to say, Oh, that hurt, he'd be like, Oh no, I didn't mean it like that. That's not what I meant. Joseph understands one of the few things that Joseph does well, again, is just kind of figuring out, okay, the temperature in the room. Let's move things along. And Joseph says, And now he has returned the compliment. Herr Salieri composed this little march of welcome for you. Really? And then Mozart breaks into Italian. Grazie, signore. Sono commosso. And, and says to Salieri that he's touched just asserting, and I don't think he's competing necessarily, but it is one of those, okay, since we're going to speak Italian, I can do this too. Yeah. He is a cultured man. Yeah. You don't have anything on me. Well, and like in, in that sort of has learned at least some Italian because right. it is the language of music at this time. Right. So, so if, and, and if that's what Salieri is going to say to him, then of course, I'll, I'll say it back. That's fine. Joseph, well, there it is. Not a business. Young man, we are going to commission an opera from you. Mozart is thrilled. But then a debate ensues among the bureaucrats about all the, the ways that they're going to approach this. And Mozart, the greatest musician that may have ever lived, he decides to insert his opinion among a bunch of people you've never heard of. And he says, I have this libretto. It is filled with proper German virtues because this is the culture that he's in right there. And Salieri, who is again playing his hand politically, he feels like, okay, I didn't get ahead here, so I'm going to move my cards forward. Excuse me, Majesty, but uh, what do you think these could be? Uh, being a foreigner, I would love to learn. False humility. He's actually saying a trap. He knows this environment. He still wants to look like he has standing. And Mozart says, Love, sire. Oh, love! Well, of course, in Italy we know nothing about love. And the delegation from Italy chuckles, and Mozart takes the bait. No, I don't think you do. I mean, watching Italian opera, all those male sopranos screeching, stupid fat couples rolling their eyes about, that's not love, it's, it's, it's just rubbish. What do you see there, by the way? <laughs> well, there's a, like like this trap for Salieri is beautiful. Like he's he's using a little bit of sarcasm and and uh, and and setting up for for Mozart to um, to say something dumb about German virtues. Yep. But he's assuming too much and too little of Mozart both at the same time. Because Mozart isn't aware of the game that he's playing, even a little bit. That's it. Like he he goes on to completely insult all Italian opera in front of a room <laughs> of Italian <laughs> opera composers. Yes, or in a room in uh, with filled with Italian opera composers, and like he's he's not doing it on purpose. He's he's just saying his thoughts out loud. It's like this is the the things that you're doing. It's 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 silly. It's it's rubbish. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like like, and he's not being insulting. 
He's just completely unaware of the game that they're playing. Yep. What's interesting is Joseph then kind of sides with Mozart. He says, well, then let's let it be German. Because, of course, he's the king of a nation that speaks German. Right. And it's going to be a national opera. Right. He's like, you know what? We can break with this tradition. Yeah. And so Mozart has kind of a slight edge. But then Joseph hands him the score. He says, this is yours. Keep it, Majesty, if you want. It's already here in my head. What? On one hearing only? I think so, sire. Yes. So he's rejecting Salieri's gift. And then Joseph looks at him. Again, he's caught up in the adventure that Mozart's weaving, and he says, Show us. Right. <laughs> Mozart bows, hands the script back to the emperor, he goes over to the piano, very confident, begins to play the tune, very clean, all staccato, and everybody's impressed. There has been positioning. There's political jockeying. All the people are trying to make their moves. It feels like it's pretty even at the end of the day. And then Mozart says, The rest is just the same, isn't it? Everyone looks at Salieri. And Mozart says, It doesn't really work, does it? To the phrase that Salieri thanked God for. Right. Did you try... Shouldn't it be a bit more? Or this? This. Yes. And he plays another phrase, and gradually he starts to alter the music, so it turns into this. Everyone, we're in the, the, the seat of the priest again. Everyone knows that the things that Mozart starts composing are vastly better than what was done before, and it gradually turns into this wonderful march. What do you see there? Like I, again, like I, I want to draw back to the fact that that Mozart has no idea what he's doing, <laughs> like like right. the, the the offenses that he's committing, he has he's completely unaware of it. He's just he's just going with the flow and doing yep. his thing. Like this this is just Mozart being Mozart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Salieri is. The the look on his the like like Eve Marie Abraham yeah. is is so spectacular in this because the, the way that he captures the offense that he's experiencing yeah. in this Com- is completely uncomfortable. Uh, and th- this is this is something straight from my soul. Yep. That I worked very hard on, and here you are just throwing it away i'll never be able to write anything that good not in a thousand years like i spent so much energy making something that you fixed after one hearing yes by someone who played it badly (laughs) i had originally thought that they had for this scene uh taken a salieri march and then made it into mozart but apparently what they did was they took a part of of Marriage of Figaro, which, by the way, is one of Mozart's most famous pieces. Mm. And then they just stripped down all the layers and made it as basic as possible. Sure. And that's how they they came to this scene. Yeah. But as he's playing it, he's playing one of the more famous pieces, movements in that. uh, It's an aria from from, uh, Figaro. And then when he gets done and everybody's blown away, he looks at him and just laughs. Yeah. (laughs) 
He's brain having fun. Donkey in front. Isn't of everyone him. having fun? This is great. We're on right? an adventure, man. Yeah. Let's. We're equal. Would you, this is fine. Yeah. I just. You want to be thing. bored with Italian opera? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go some places. Cut to Salieri back in his office, looking at the cross and saying, "Grazie, signore." Anger, frustration, bitterness, I'm not and envy. Good enough. Yeah. And there's total envy there. Old Salieri says to the priest, all I ever wanted to do was to sing to God. He gave me that longing and made me mute. Did God make him mute? If the only lens you have through which to see is how you compare to other people, then yes. (laughs) He is a professional musician and makes a great deal of money. He's the court composer for the emperor of Austria. (laughs) He again asks the priest, if he didn't want me to praise him with music, why implant the desire like a lust in my body and then deny me the talent? Comparison Mm -hmm. over self-critical. That's the misstep. And it comes out in this movement. This is a moment that truly changes his trajectory from appreciating and perhaps wanting to value Mozart into something else. Right. I can't possibly be good because he is better. Yep. Cut to now it, the, the envy digs a little deeper here in this next scene. You cut to Salieri and he has, uh, he's with a woman who's very flamboyantly dressed and they are discussing Mozart. She apparently is a student, but she apparently is also one of the great singers of the day in this area. And she asks Salieri, What does he look like? Mozart? You might be disappointed. Why? And he, again, just master relational player, says, Looks and talent don't always go together, Katharina. So I just think that's a great line. Yeah. And she says, Looks don't concern me, maestro. Only talent interests a woman of taste. What is Salieri here there? Oh, like, it's just like, like, he's, he's not going to show it, but you know that, like, that was a dagger in his heart because he knows the talent uh, that's, yep. that is Mozart potential rival here right he changes the subject says shall we continue and she begins doing scales and again this is one of those places where he's watching her sing in a high register and he clearly is experiencing physical pleasure yeah from this cut to mozart well this is also um this is also a moment of he he is because of he's following the rules because of his deal that he made with god he has never done anything with this woman. Yep. But the, the pleasure is not is not from the music. The pleasure is from watching her. Yep. So he he's he's sort of longing after this woman in this and like this plays in in with her later, but like clearly he has romantic interest in this woman. Yep. Yeah. But the move then is uh, there's a cut in the movie to Mozart conducting her, and now she's singing, and it's a very similar experience, but now it's before everybody else. She is singing uh, a performance of the abduction of Sarah Gigio, 
My Italian's just spot on today, by the way. <laughs> yeah, clearly and you studied. I, <laughs> I've looked at this script a handful of times. I just never say the words. Old Sal- Salieri says, There she was. I don't know where they met or how. There she stood. On stage for all to see. Showing off like the greedy songbird she was. And the German son by Katrina here says, Bind me, compel me, bind me, hurt me, break me. All very sexual, all very humiliating. For Salieri, who's up in his booth by himself in the dark, looking mad. And and has intentionally been chased with this woman that he wants. Like he yep. he's going to do the right thing in order to earn the appropriate opportunity to experience sexual fulfillment with this woman. Yeah, this it it just like here she is being almost body for someone else. All my life I worked for you and never disobeyed your commandments. And yet you didn't even give me a goat to have a party with my friends. And then this young son of yours who wasted all of your money on harlots comes back and you slaughter the fattened calf. Mm -hmm. She is an excellent personification of everything that's going on in Salieri's heart. And she is giving herself to Mozart as the masses watch. And she, (laughs) and, and she actually, I think is one of the mediocrities. She has some talent, but She's not necessarily, as we'll see later in the piece, she's not necessarily a woman of of virtue, of wisdom, of intelligence. She is superficial, and yet Salieri cares that he has not won her affection. Mm -hmm. And that's how he feels about all the mediocrities, actually. He wants them to think he's amazing, and yet his standards for himself are so much higher. Because there are times where there's a payoff, where the king appreciates him. The rest of the bureaucrats appreciate him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a scene later in the movie where all of Vienna is, is, is applauding, standing before him, and it's not good enough. Right. He wants the attention, but he really doesn't know what to do with it when he gets it. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that in a four. Well, there, that, that's part of that, like, like that withdrawn thing. And Suzanne talked about this in, in one of our recent interviews and I can't remember if it actually made it on air, but um, there's this, so it's part of this, this withdrawing for attention thing that, that fours, they, they, they want the attention of others, but they don't know what to do with it when they have it. And, and so it's, it's this, this sort of striving for something that they can't handle when they get it. And, and, and it's always not enough. Like it, it's be, because what they, what they really want is to be accepted for who they are, for who they are in and of themselves to be seen and, and to be understood. But they, they, they look for a, a sort of recognition that, that comes from outside of themselves and, and they, they don't see themselves in the way that they're looking for. And so they can never accept the attention that they're looking for from other people. I imagine most of the addictions that all the types have are of that sort. Right. At the core, our addiction just 
cannot ever be fully satisfied. And there it is for, for fours. Right. Old Salieri says, At that moment I knew, beyond any doubt, he'd had her. The creature had had my darling girl. By the way, not really his, man. Right. He's, but this is... Not. Yeah, he, he assumes that, like, this is part of the deal. Is that, that because he has treated her in a certain way, she is his. It was incomprehensible. What was God up to? I have this possession. This woman is mine. Was it possible I was being tested? Was God expecting me to offer forgiveness in the face of every offense, no matter how painful? Forgiveness again highlighted. Very possible. But why him? Why choose Mozart to teach me lessons in humility? Again, we come back to Mozart has entered your life. You can learn from this man who is the greatest musician in the history of the planet. Or you can be crushed by his talent. There's one of these is a real healthy, wonderful path to ride. Right. And the other is what, what do you gain? This is one of the things um, a lot of writers have talked about envy on this front. Envy is the only one of the deadly sins that gives no pleasure. Hmm. There is something about envy that is just dark for the sake of darkness. Right. And enjoying that darkness. My heart was filling up with such hatred for that little man. For the first time in my life, I began to know really violent thoughts. Every day, sometimes for hours, I would pray. Lord, please send him away, back to Salzburg, for his sake, as well as mine. You see anything there? And and not like, not help me be a better person. There it is. But send him away so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. Yep. It again is the case that there's something about understanding your struggle, naming your struggle, inviting the struggle to be a place where you can grow. And that's something he's unable to do. Right. Because apparently, apparently everything's about pleasure for him. Like that, maybe that's what the desserts are about. Sure, yeah. It's everything is a delicacy to be enjoyed. Why would I need to grow as a human soul? Sure. Well, and but he he can't really ever like like because of his deal with God, he can't really enjoy real pleasure. Like he he thinks that he this and and this is part of sort of the um, part of the the move to one that he thinks he has to earn the right to those pleasures. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's part of this deal is that, that, that he does not get to have the woman that he wants until he's earned it. If he has the attention that he craves, if his motives fulfilled, then he would move to one. And in that space, be able to say, I've, I've earned this pleasure? He does have the attention. Like he he yeah. if he really was going to, he probably could have had her a sure. long time ago. Sure. Like he's in the place where he can get the things that he's looking for. Yeah. He just won't take them. Ooh. 
Is there an action repression there? Certainly. Or is I mean, or is it the case that maybe this is part of the low side of security is that he has set up these rules that aren't very good rules right. for himself. Right. It may be the case that for him, celibacy is not a, a worthwhile principle. The reason that he is celibate is a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. And then Mozart's father comes. Mozart father joins Mozart and his bride in Vienna in this next scene after the concert. Mozart's father, uh, I believe, is an uh, in Italian is an asshole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> his father's not pleased with anything. Mozart has financial issues uh, that we begin to see, um, and he uh, needs to make some money but he doesn't want his work to be judged. And so eventually the way the movie works, Constance, his wife has, uh, knows that they need money and she brings sheet music to Salieri so that Mozart can be considered for a Royal appointment. And Salieri is in the middle of doing some work. He says he'll look over the portfolio as soon as he can. Constance in another great scene. Would it be too much trouble, sir, to ask you to look at them now while I wait? Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not at leisure this, uh, this precise moment. <laughs> Just leave them with me. I assure you they will be quite safe. I really cannot do that, sir. You see, he doesn't know I'm here. Then he didn't send you? No, sir. This was my own idea. Sir, we're desperate. We, we really need this job. My husband spends far more than he can ever earn. I don't mean that he's lazy, because he's not at all. He works all day long. It's just that he's not practical. Money simply slips through his fingers. It's ridiculous. Not going to spend a lot of time on Mozart, mm. but here is the character flaw right. for this. Right. And this is going to be a terminal character flaw because it will eventually lead to his utter exhaustion and death. Right. Salieri, the master politician, who has a genius for manipulating people. Let me offer you some, uh, some uh, refreshment. Do you, do you know what these are? Capezzoli di Venere, nipples of Venus. They're Roman chestnuts in brandied sugar. Try one. <laughs> They're wonderful. Thank you very much, Your Excellency. Don't keep calling me that. Keeps me at such a distance. But this is exactly what he wants. He wants people to think he is good enough to be called your excellency. Right. I wasn't born a court composer, you know. I'm from a small town, just like your husband. There's the equanimity. Are you sure you can leave this and, and come back again? It's very tempting, sir. But it's impossible, I'm afraid. Wolfgang would be frantic if he found those were missing. You see, they're all originals. Originals? Yes, sir. He doesn't make copies. And then Salieri begins looking over the music. I love this scene because, again, it's the case. He's the only person in the world who sees the beauty at the level he does. Right. Thoughts on, on this scene? Um, I love how like, he moves from being... So, so he, he essentially has total power in this situation 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, I think he recognizes a vulnerability in her, and and being like like I think this this plays into they they didn't get into this much in in really overt ways in his character, but I think that that like this plays into his sort of his own sort of hidden lecherousness. Mm-hmm. Um, that that he sees, he starts to see the the embers of an opportunity here, because here here is someone who not only is a pretty young woman, but is desperate, and is an opportunity for him to um, take advantage of his enemy. Um, so so there's 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 three things that that three potential goods for him that he, I don't know that he would ever say out loud, but, but he starts to play into that and, and like here, here's a chance for him to best Mozart while also still having power over him. Yep. Um, and there's, there's a, there's also a sense of, for me, it, it it's a sense of um, like being using my uniqueness using my my not just position of authority but but I am in a special place and I can use that specialness to get the things that I want. Mhm. What is it that he wants in that situation? I think it, at least for a moment it's it's carnal fulfillment. Yeah. There is going to be so in the cut that is widely available, which is the extended cut, that's where that moves. Is he's trying to get back. There's a revenge element. You had my girl, I'm gonna have your girl. Right. That takes place. Right. In the in the Oscar winning cut, it goes different because this scene is actually a huge cut. Like it it uh, what ends up happening is you have the scene with older Salieri who says who is describing, looking at the pieces, and he says, Astounding. It was actually, it was beyond belief. These were first and only drafts of music. But they showed no corrections of any kind. Not one. He had simply written down music already finished in his head. Page after page of it, as if he were just taking dictation. There's an, there's a, there's an inspiration from God image there that's really important. And music, finished as no music is ever finished. Displace one note. And there would be diminishment. This place one phrase, and the structure would fall. It was clear to me. That sound I had heard in the Archbishop's palace had been no accident. Here again was the very voice of God. I was staring through the cage of those meticulous ink strokes. 
had an absolute beauty. Envy and being imprisoned imagery. What do you think? It, it's like that line for me is like the forest statement that's ever been. <laughs> right? I am prevented from taking part in the most beautiful thing that has ever existed. Ah, uh, yeah. He's on the outside yeah. somehow. Yeah. Not connected. Right. There's, again, something there about being able to connect with the thing that you see as beautiful. He is so moved. It's, again, very physical for him, and he ends up dropping all this music on the floor. Constance reacts. She says, Is it not good? And he looks at her. Total sincerity. It is miraculous. And she says, Oh, yes, he's really proud of his work, so will you help him? And in the Oscar weighing cut, he just stares her down cold and walks out of the room. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to the scene where he says, From now on, we are enemies. And he takes the cross off his wall and he throws it in the fire. And it's, 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 it's kind of unsettling. Like mm -hmm. this man who is so devout, who's routinely talking about God, suddenly is burning this image that he had held in such high regard. Because you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy, and give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation. Because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you, I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I am able. What do you see there? I mean, Solieri is basically saying you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain and now I'm going to work to destroy what you love. <laughs> like, like this is a fantastic villain monologue. Yeah. Um, right. But it's all like, there's also like, there's, there's so much like this is the pit of envy. This, this is, is, is someone who is so, consumed with what he does not get to have that it 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 turns him into a monster yeah because in reality he is actually surrounded with everything that he's looking for he just can't see it so so he's still in a sort of secure place like the 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 villainy of the low side of one begins to like really start to manifest here in in the sense of of the way that he is going to like the 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 turn that happens with everything that he does with Mozart like like so much of of him interacting with other people about Mozart before this point mm -hmm. is is just sort of like, like Mozart, like he, he won't openly say it, but like he thinks that Mozart's a buffoon and he doesn't want everyone else to, to sort of praise Mozart, but the music is spectacular and he can't do anything about that. So, and, and, and he openly acknowledges that the music is, is untouchable mm -hmm. from this moment on. He's actually actively working to showcase that Mozart, that, that people should not be, uh, 
praising Mozart because he's a buffoon. Yeah. But but still in ways that are proper. Yeah. So like like he's continually working to to destroy Mozart's career but in ways that are that like through the the appropriate channels. Yeah. If I'm able to destroy him then I will shine out again. Yeah. Um at least in his own eyes, yeah. I mean that's actually where everything culminates. If I destroy this person, then I will have the performance stage again and be able to even even if it's deceit perform music that everyone sees as revelatory and beautiful. Well, and I'm not I'm not even sure that it's that. I I think that he wants to destroy Mozart because Mozart it if if he if Salieri can't have what's being given to Mozart and Salieri has actually followed the rules, then Mozart definitely doesn't deserve it. And he's going to work to make sure that Mozart doesn't have it because that's the way the world should work. Uh, sure. Yeah. There oh, there it is. There is the low side yeah. of one. Yeah. It's the justice comes in at that moment yeah there is an order to the universe i have followed the rules and i don't get this thing you definitely don't get it and i will work to make sure that you don't have it one of the interesting things in envy when i did my book on envy seven which you can purchase on amazon.com <laughs> envy in the scriptures always results in exile um cain right. and abel one brother kills the other and then immediately has to leave. Um, Jacob envies Esau, does some dastardly things, immediately has to leave because he had envied Esau's position. Mm -hmm. In the prodigal son story, the younger brother returns, the older brother sees what happens, and he says, this is terrible, and the older brother immediately leaves. The father has to chase down his older brother. There's something about uh, envy that separates you from everyone else. Mm -hmm. Staring through the cage of those meticulous ink strokes is an image of separation. Yeah. I was connected, but now I'm not. Now I'm on the outside looking yeah. in. And it's because this thing is so glorious and I'm the only one who can recognize it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Quick thought about this scene in Amadeus overall. There's a... Um, there's a there's two types of atheism. There's the God belief is just silly and and I believe other metaphysical things. There's another form that's expressed here where God is the enemy. Um, this is a, a piece of classic literature is the Brothers Karamazov in which the chief character Ivan Karamazov is an atheist and he sits down and he has a conversation with his brother who is a priest. And they're talking after their father has died. And Ivan is telling stories to um, Alyosha, the priest, about why he doesn't want anything to do with God anymore. And it is because of God's graciousness to terrible people. And he, there's one chapter in Brothers K that, in which um, Ivan says, if this is who your God is, you can have the ticket back. I want nothing to do with this kind of person. And that's entirely what's taking place in Amadeus. It's just, it's a, it's a very, very similar scene to uh, 
what we see in Brothers Karamazov, where you have the naive priest and you have the very seasoned dissenter. And sometimes you have to go there, and the, and sometimes it's you know where our story leads. But it's 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 um, it's one of those masterpieces of world literature that's just elevating something that's in the human story that's worth talking about. I think this is a good place to pause. Yeah, we'll just pick up, you know, next time. Hey, it would mean the world to us if you pause, take two seconds, and write us a brief review and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org, but the best thing you can do is share this episode with somebody that you love, especially music aficionados. Uh, The music here is by The Collection at Greensboro, North Carolina, and Tim Coons in Greeley, Colorado. Um, and, uh, hey, TJ, you got anything else? I got nothing. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. For example, you're not Mozart, and that's okay. That doesn't need to exile you from the rest of the world. Push into who you are. That's where the gold is. <laughs> <laughs>